Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy, or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Let's go. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and I am joined today by my friend and colleague, Dr. Kinga Manish. Hey, Kinga, how are you? Hi, Ella. How are you? Where are you? I am in Mexico in the jungle right now. <laughs> I mean, you are legit in the jungle. I can see it behind you. Are we Are we worried about animals at all? No, there were a few mosquitoes and there were some quatties actually running around behind me earlier on. And I was hoping that we might catch them. But No, I don't know what that is, but I don't want to catch one. <laughs> they are so cute. I promise you, you want to actually cuddle them like you want to cuddle them. <laughs> okay, we're going to put that in the show notes. So Kinga, listen, some of the pod fam is familiar with you because we recorded together last year, episode 266. And that was about managing emotions and informed and aligned decision making. It was a really good show. I will repost that in the show notes so you guys can pull that up. But Kinga, we have, first of all, we were essentially meeting on the air last time, right? I mean, it was, mm -hmm. it was like a, a year ago, maybe a year and some change. I don't think people know that we've been in business together ever since. <laughs> no, I was just like thinking, I'm like, has it been just one year? But it hasn't been long. You're right. No, I mean, what is time? <laughs> yeah, that's so odd. So in that's short, true. Kinga had just started a nonprofit organization that is created to amplify the stories of women. I could go on. I will link to it. It's called Ziva Voices. And it's something that we're both really, really passionate about. And we put out a quarterly magazine, which is absolutely fantastic. And it features women writers from all over the world. And it's amazing. But Kinga, we're together in October, October 12th, 2023, in Lexington, Kentucky, together at a conference. And anyone listening who's near that area or can be can come. Do you want to tell them what that is really quickly before we jump into today's topic? Yeah, sure. Our goal with Ziva Voices is to amplify women's stories. And we started doing that through the magazine and through roundtable discussions that we created online. And what we're doing is we want to really create equality between women worldwide. So we are really tackling actually the entire world. And when I say entire world, I think that by now we've had women for, uh, from over 50 countries, you know, join us in some sort of a way in this whole movement. And so what we're doing at, at the Kentucky Theater in Lexington is we are bringing in actually uh, nine women from across the world that are going to be talking about different aspects when it comes to the obstacles that we are facing as women but they are going to be presenting the solutions that they've created. And here's the thing, the obstacles as women that we are facing, they are quite similar. It doesn't matter where we go in the world, we will hear very similar stories, but we are all trying to find different solutions and we don't have to if we start to collaborate more with one another. So what we've been doing is really trying to bring everyone together into a wider network and don't create just another silo where we have women just from one either specific field collaborate uh, collaborate with one another or for a specific country. No, what we are trying to do is we are really mixing everyone together so we can then create the solutions together. 
Okay, listeners of this show, I will put a link in the show notes. And if they want to join us on October 12th for that event, they can come for $45. (laughs) And I will be there. I'm helping MC the event. Kinga will be there. A lot of amazing women will be there. If you want new friends, if you want to network, if you want to learn something, come join us on October 12th. And if that is not an option for you, then just join us at zivavoices.com and definitely sign up for the magazine. Hey, write for the magazine. We include women from all over the world. Okay, Kinga, let's jump in. Anyone who has read the title of this show is probably feeling something because this show today is about what women can learn from men. And that might surprise you. That might sound like a twist on what you might expect to get from Dr. Kinga Manish or from me. Kinga, why is this topic important? You just made you just made me laugh. Sorry, you know because I said to my husband that this is the topic that we are talking about, and he looked at me. He's like, "Oh, that's going to be a really short episode, like thirty seconds, right?" (laughs) And I'm like, "No, I mean, like we have a whole outline, you know." So why is this topic important? And I think that uh, many of us that have joined networks and collaborations, you know, over the past years and have been listening to either different shows or have been just networking, we realize that there is just quite a lot of talk and not always, uh, and not everything is always combined with the right actions. And on top of that, you know, we are still living in a world where where men are so much more ahead of women. And we cannot just blame the system all the time for it, right? I do think that there are specific actions that we have to take and that we are taking and many women are taking along the way in order to change also the system. So I think that's really how the topic came together. Well, I think it's important to talk about why we're talking about this in several ways and invite you to approach this conversation, you who is joining us today, and thank you for sharing your time with us. I think it's important to get several things on the table. First of all, I have to say, even though my tongue is firmly implanted in my cheek, and I will admit that, and I worded it this way on purpose to provoke some thinking, and even though I am a little bit cheeky about it, I'm also dead serious in in this one thing, and that is if we live in a world where we honestly don't believe that we can learn from one another, then we have lost the plot completely. Like this binary thinking Mm. that one is good or one is superior. And that can be anything like pick your party, pick any topic in the world right now. When we succumb to binary thinking, we have lost our ability for intellectual capacity and conversation. So Yes, I believe that we can all learn from one another. Now, with that said, all generalizations are false, right? Except for that one. (laughs) All generalizations are false. For anything anyone says, everyone can point out the exception. But I think that it's going to be useful to allow us to speak in generalities today to create value. What do you think about that as someone who has a PhD in gender studies Tell me, is there room for nuance here? And is it acceptable from an academic point of view to allow for generalizations, Dr. Kinga Manish? (laughs) Ella, first of all, our brains work in generalizations and generalizations do, we can't find generalizations that are based on data, right? I mean, you know, when we speak about data, we say 82% have answered a questionnaire, you know, with this. 
right? And we are general, generalizing with that because the 82%, you know, comes out maybe of if you've been really busy. Maybe you had a sample of thousand people, but maybe you had a, a sample just of hundred people or 50 people, right? And you're going to be generalizing that. So there is always a truth to, to an overall model, right? Does everyone have, you know, some, uh, some flexibility in it? Of course. Now, the other thing is, and I think that you mentioned it uh, already in it, but it's so important right now, many of the conversations that are happening is this is what's happening and this is bad and women are doing this better. And nevertheless, women are not getting the seat at the table. But so we need to open up that conversation into both directions. And we need to stop actually saying who is good or bad at what, but more overall look at something and say, okay, this is working and this is working. Now, if we stop labeling either or, what we will do is actually open up also the door for women to have less obstacles, right? So for example, just the latest data that came out and is super interesting, and I don't remember which institute did it again. Uh, I can look it up later on, but women actually negotiate their salaries much more often than men. And they get declined more often. So till now, we've been all made to believe that women don't negotiate as often as men. Yeah. But the recent research actually shows the opposite. But they still get the no way more often than men. And that that actually showcases that there are biases in the uh, you know in the managerial ranks when it comes to actually upping out your salary. It has nothing to do with the individual skills. So. What we are trying to do is actually dismantle the biases, dismantle those roles. But what we have to do is really showcase, okay, this is the one side, this is the other side, what works for what and what, and how can we learn from one another? And I think that our conversation is going to really go into, into that. Yeah. And I mean, look, let it be said, we could do a 15 part series on how women are superior to men and in how many ways. Okay. We could, <laughs> we could talk about empathy. All right. We could talk about, Hey, I don't know, multitasking. We could talk about chewing quietly and in normal size bites, Kinga. And women just tend to be superior <laughs> in the art of chewing, if we're being honest. However, I am taking the more provocative point of view here to challenge us, and it is, to, to connect the dots here, it is partially because, of course, we can always learn from one another, but it's also more complicated than that. And you touched on this when you said there are systems in place that were not designed by women and not necessarily designed for women, and they were created generally, let's take the business systems and entrepreneurial systems and financing systems, meaning getting money to grow, acquire, or establish your business as one example. These systems, I think it's pretty well established, were neither created by women nor for women. Now, can we go out there and change every single system? Yeah, maybe. I don't know how many generations it will take. Maybe, possibly. We're certainly trying. We're trying to change a system called media. Ziva Voices is trying to have an impact in the world of media where women's success stories are shared, are amplified on a global stage. So that's what we're doing. And maybe, listener, you have something that you're passionate about that you will impact in your own circle of influence. But what I thought it would be fun to do was to flip the script a little bit and be like, okay, but in these systems... 
what could we do? Like, how are we limiting ourselves and what can we do? Because at the end of the day, Kinga, you know, I am all about personal accountability and what can I do? Ranting and raving and being a victim or waving a flag, like that's not, that's not going to change anything, even if it has the virtue of being true in a, a certain circumstance. So what can I control in how I communicate, in how I talk about myself, in how I think about myself, in how I show up in a room? And can I influence anything in my arena by challenging the way I was programmed? No, I love that. It's very true. And you know what? Like when you were just talking, there's something that came into my mind. And it's really the the first time when I questioned even my own approach towards research. So I went into the prison system in order to research emotions and masculinity and how men are using their own emotions to create their own understanding of what does it mean to be a man, right? And I did that because I wanted to have an understanding on why is there so much violence against women. That was the approach. I didn't want to do, again, another research, you know, with women that are going to be telling me the stories that are mostly known. But I wanted to know, I'm like, they're not the perpetrators. We need to understand what is actually happening here. And it was really interesting because while I was conducting my research, I was sitting there at some point. I was like, wait a second. Women are not better at emotions. Women are better at understanding certain emotions. And there are certain emotions that men just excel in. Like there are specific emotions that we as culture and society subscribe to and say, this is, men are allowed to show this, men are allowed to express this, and women are not. And it's the same way for women, right? There are specific like kindness and softness and however, anything, any emotion that falls under it, right, is, is a more female emotion. So anger, you know, when you take anger and a man expresses anger, it is socially, you know, accepted depending on which culture you are in, by the way, like the US ranks, by the way, very, very high on accepting the the showing of anger in man. Many other cultures don't do it. Wow. That way. It's really interesting. And but but for women, it's not permitted. Right. But here's the thing. Neither or like, and I wanted to, I wanted to give you an example because I like, I, I watched that. I watched that and I'm like, interestingly, because anger is the sensation within you that someone has crossed your boundary and you have to, you have to create the integrity again in order to recreate that boundary. And now the next step that follows, if you show that anger or how you show it, it really depends on you. Right. And so men do it unfortunately, quite often in a pretty aggressive way. You know, I'm generalizing here right now, but women will suppress it and will push it away, which means we are quite often suppressing the ability to showcase what our values and what our boundaries are. And what we're doing is we are stopping ourselves from understanding what our internal uh, um, compass is actually telling us. And that's something that we should learn from men, right? We don't have to be aggressive. But it can be as simple as, you know what, you've overstepped right now. Please step out of my office. <laughs> it's not aggressive. <laughs> but I felt the anger, right? And at the same time, I am, oh, this is anger. I don't have to stand up and scream or whatever. But I can react to it in a way that I'm okay with. Okay, this is really important. So, And I love that this is our first topic on the table here. So basically, 
men are allowed to be angry, right? And you're saying there's actually a regional difference here in the on the global scale. I am very curious about that, but I know we don't have time to go down that rabbit hole. So we will flag that for now. But but for men, anger is an approved emotion, right? At least we'll say yeah. in, in uh, much of the Western world, I'm going to hazard a guess. And for women, mm-hmm. it's still a taboo emotion. And God forbid you're a woman of color and want to express anger. But if I'm understanding you correctly, and I want to make sure that I am, anger means understanding boundaries and giving yourself the ability to set them. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if a system penalizes us for showing anger, then how do we win in that scenario? How do we win in that system? And that, that's what makes it really complicated. We understand quite often what someone is expressing on the outside as the emotion, right? But whatever someone is doing, if they are raising their voice, you know, they are starting to scream or they are, you know, stopping to talk or they get red, that's just something that is happening, happening on the outside. Now, an emotion is actually just a chemical reaction that is happening inside. So the reaction towards it is actually what we as society, what we are penalizing. So we as women, what we have, we have to understand that there is a difference between what we are feeling inside versus how we are reacting to it. And then we have to unfortunately tiptoe a little bit around by not necessarily being the person that's standing up and screaming the way, you know, some of the, as we say in German, actually Herren der Schöpfung. I do want to translate that later on. Language, Inga, language. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's, uh, we can still react to it. But what we are misunderstanding is that the outside reaction equals the inside, uh, you know, the inside experience and therefore, we must suppress any kind of movement with it. My understanding of what I'm hearing you say is, first of all, women tend to, again, generalization, we'll allow it, women can suppress anger because it's not even allowed. We don't even allow it ourselves. This isn't about screaming and yelling. I'm I'm, I'm very rarely going to advocate for that as a rule anyway. <laughs> but you're saying that the emotion needs to be permitted. The emotion needs to be allowed. And then because we're adults, we can learn how to communicate when we are in that state. We can let it ebb. Yeah. We can let it flow. We can let the emotion wash over us and then communicate as adults. But to suppress the actual emotion in the first place is self-sabotaging. Is that a fair summary? Yeah. I mean, actually, it gets worse. It creates anxiety and depression. Okay. I mean, suppressing that emotion creates anxiety and depression. That's the reason why. So we assume in science that that's one of the reasons why there is more depression uh, between women. The other thing is, and now bear with me, it's not about necessarily right the the reaction because we really generalize a little bit. But men do tend to be better at saying no and sticking to their priorities which is an understanding of where their boundaries are. It is an inner understanding of what their values are, what matters to them, and what is essential. Which, you know, I mean, like I've worked with a client, uh, you know, a lawyer, and she tended to say quite often yes, and her male partners would say no. At some point, she realized, you know what? I am actually trying to please I am not understanding what is inside me. I'm not reading my signals correctly while the men are just listening to it. And they are so well in tuned with this barometer on where their boundary is that it's so much easier for them to just say no. 
What you're saying is so important. And the reason my brain just exploded is, is twofold. One is, in fairness, we are a hundred percent conditioned that way. Was it just me? Like I was 100% conditioned that several things. One is if I want to be taken seriously, I have to work really, really hard. Um, mm-hmm. especially in, you know, certain environments, business, uh, heavy industrial sectors where I have worked a great many years of my professional life. Also accommodating and people pleasing and wanting to be the yes, I call it the golden retriever tendency, where you're like, yeah, I can help. What can I do next? Love me, love me. Like that does seem to skew. I'm not the PhD here. That tends to skew more female. And I'm not trying to, I'm not criticizing us. I'm actually trying to point out that, frankly, I was raised that way. Am I the only one, Kinga? No, that is exactly the problem. And here's the thing, you know, what we tend to do as society, we overcomplicate everything, right? And we layer it up with some stories. But when you really start digging into many of these things, you start realizing that feeling your anger, this basic, basic emotion that all of us share, once you start doing that, you understand actually that A lot of the stories that you've been told to believe are just there in order to cover up what is actually happening within you and what is covering that internal power of yours to be able to move forward and to take care of your own needs. So why do, and this is not a fair question, but maybe we can just have a conversation about it. Why do women tend to feel guilty if they say no, or they feel fearful if they say no? Because, so the guilty part comes from from the part of we've been made to believe that everyone else around us comes first, right? We need to take care of everyone else. And so if you believe that you have to put everyone first and you are trying to do now something for yourself, it's guilt. It's automatically. I'm not fulfilling my role. I'm not fulfilling the role that I'm supposed to be best at, meaning taking care of other people, because now I'm saying no. So that is, you know, that is really one of the prime stories that we've been all told. And it's it's hard, right? I mean, because we are the ones that that get pregnant. We are the ones that give birth. You know, we are the ones that have babies. And yes, there was a world in which, you know, it wasn't just on you to actually take care of that child. There were people around you. There were bigger families, bigger communities. There were so many. It was never just on us, but now it is on us. And so few people talk about how the system has changed that women, and I hear that so often from young mothers, they just feel really lonely because it isn't fulfilling, but they cannot say it's not fulfilling, right? Because now you're placed into the situation where you're supposed to be the happiest. This is the best thing that ever happened to you. And you are like, this, I'm isolated. <laughs> I'm alone. I cannot have normal conversations. So it's this, it, you know, it's this whole social and cultural story that is around it. So that is the first part. And the second question was, the second question was about fear. So guilt, which you've just answered, and fear. Fear is, of course, you know, I mean, fear is a really primal instinct, right? So you have anger, fear, uh, that are both like really primal, primal emotions. You know, this, this is something that all of us feel. And that's really important because there are tons of things that we call emotions that are actually not. So sorry, just to put this addendum to it. But fear is fear that something bad is going to happen. 
So we are now activating the amygdala. We are literally activating the fear or flight of free system by believing in specific stories, right? If I don't do this, I might be seen by others not as a good mother, or I might lose out on getting the next promotion because I haven't pleased someone enough, or I haven't shown something. It's really, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting how we have managed to create a story where we are feeding into it. And there are two other aspects to it. I think that's really important. Women are also not necessarily being taught how to lose. Boys play more with one another. Boys are more actually in team sports. And what we've learned actually through research is that the earlier on someone is in the team sport and the earlier on you actually play this game and you learn to lose, you also learn to not be afraid of it, but we are not being exposed to it. And that's what men quite often are also much better at. I'm not saying that they always have the better understanding of risk. I think that that's where it becomes a little bit more skewed up. I think that's where it's so important to actually have two counterparts really working together, right? Because you are being exposed to it so much that things start not to feel risky, even though they are 2008 and 2009 economy, <laughs> for example, right? But but as women, we have so little exposure to it. And depending on, of course, how you've grown up. And I think like for my generation, millennials, you know, it's like even in, I think that the newer generations is starting to be a little bit different. But for us, it's really this whole bubble thing, right? Oh, she's a girl, you know, like we will do it in such a way, you know, it's like all of that that comes with it. Yeah, I read a couple of things in preparation for this conversation. And one was just this, this is a quote from somebody else. And they said, everything is a game for men because they are encouraged to compete from an early age on. There's, uh, there's obviously like competition and team sport and like all of the things that come with that, but they learn to lose, which makes it easier to take risk as losing as a part of the game of life. So that's one hypothesis. But the other thing is, I think that because boys in general are encouraged to and permitted to engage in more team competitive sport, I also think that they learn to let things roll a little bit more easily yeah. than maybe women do. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I, I really do agree with that. It's you learn to understand to move quicker through specific situations. And we are giving boys more permission to experience actively negative feelings, except for crying, right? Don't cry. You're a boy, right? I mean, that is something. But otherwise, everything else that we would label as negative, we do give them permission, you know, for the anger, for, for, for those outbursts. It's like, you know, when, when we also look at girls and we say, oh, but girls develop faster, you know, D girls are more calm. D girls are, you know, like I've even heard, a, I have a friend, she just, she just got pregnant and she's like, I hope it's a girl, you know, because it's easier to deal with them. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, I'm like, I don't want to burst your bubble, you know, but so see, but we have these biases. Uh, and so based on these biases, we are creating specific barriers, you know, for, for the kids. And along those biases, we all learn specific things, including not to actually, for us as, as girls, you know, you're not supposed to feel all of this. You're not supposed to be angry. You're not supposed to that. So you also really have a late start in getting in touch with actually what's happening. 
I asked some people in Instagram what they thought that we could learn from men. And some of the answers are funny. <laughs> I'll share some highlights with you. One of them said nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, somebody else said sleep. What I, I actually think that she means is actually tied to some of that me time and being able to say no to things and prioritizing their own need. So I think when Lorena, thank you for this answer, I think when she says sleep, I think she means that like men can tune out whatever else is going on and take care of their own needs. That is not always the case. I want to be super clear, but I will say in that vein, there was a study, it was published in the Wall Street Journal, and it said even in marriages where women bring in similar income to their husbands, men still spend about three and a half more hours a week on leisure activities. I don't have a hard time believing that. <laughs> I think that goes back, Kinga, to what you were saying about their ability to say no. And frankly, I think we can learn from that. I think the world falls apart if everybody's just out in their own self-interest and everything they're doing is completely hedonistic or for their own pleasure or for their own interest or putting themselves first all the time. Obviously. Can we learn from Chad? Yeah, we can learn that sometimes Chad prioritizes his own needs where we might not because we might feel guilty and we might feel fear. So channel your inner Chad every once in a while. <laughs> That's my key takeaway so far. Okay. So another thing that uh, somebody said was do one thing at a time and enjoy and live in the moment. I don't think I ever do one thing at a time. Do you? <laughs> no, but here's the thing. I do think you become more successful if you do one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. Ugh, like just... To say this out loud is a hard realize, you know, like a hard pill to sw swallow for, for me because I've praised myself to be so good at multitasking and being able to hold two thoughts in my mind, you know, while doing something else and not forgetting the one. And there's much research, by the way, on, on that is like super, super interesting. So, and it has nothing to do actually with our hormones, more so actually with how we are being socialized indeed to do exactly that, right? But I think that while in our 20s and in the early, maybe even 10 years of a career and when you're building yourself, this ability is a great one because it can help you to become faster successful. The ability of multitasking? Yeah. Okay. It allows you also to become really good at multiple things, which speaks a little bit against the whole thing, focus on one thing and then really become an expert in it. But I do believe that it takes actually quite some time to understand how we want to mold ourselves, where we want to go to and what our vision is. And so once we know that, that's where we actually have to start scaling back and saying, I'm going to be focusing because now I'm doing this and I need to become an expert in that. And I do think that men, unfortunately, still a bit more talented in that regard. This is so layered. <laughs> so one example is, and this is, I, this is not flatter men, but I'm just going to say it. <laughs> if a man is staring into space and you say, what are you thinking about or something along those lines? And he says nothing. He's probably thinking of, of nothing. <laughs> or, or the Roman Empire or something like that. But like one thing, right? He's thinking about that. At any given moment, I am running eight different tracks in my head, okay? I know that you do this too. And and that's like somewhat amusing, but on a more serious note, I have found as a working mom 
That's one of my labels, right? That's one of my identities is a working mom. At no time was I ever focused for about 20 years on one thing at a time, because if I am working, it means I am not parenting. If I am parenting, it means I am not working. If I am working out and taking care of my body, it means I am not supporting my husband or my son at home who might need something. Like at any given moment, my brain is divided, but also what like my time allocation and how I can possibly feel positive about it is just completely fragmented all the time. And I envy Chad. I envy Chad's ability to do one thing at a time and be in that moment and then move on to the next thing and not be pulled at with some of those strings we've already talked about called fear and guilt. And I think that we could be more like Chad. I think we could try. <laughs> what you're pointing out is also the creating the habit of creating anxiety. So quite often people will be, you know, like will say, I feel anxious and therefore anxiety is an emotion or a feeling, but anxiety is actually a habit. So what we're doing, so I, so, so this is super interesting because this is also some of the latest like uh, research that has came, uh, that has come out, I think of Harvard or somewhere I need, I, I need to find, but it's super interesting. So what we're doing is we are keeping our brain so busy that we are preventing our brain from actually even creating emotions. So what? So yes, isn't that, I mean, it's so, that is so fascinating. So while we think that we are overwhelmed with all these emotions, we are actually just overwhelmed with our thoughts and the inability to be in the present moment because we are continuously thinking about something potentially that might happen sometime in the future. And then I'm sure you've cited that research as well, right? 90% of all our worries never actually happen. Right. So, I mean, the first time I read that, I was just like, that is just so true. But here's the thing. I think that there's a lack of communication, actually, that what we are doing with is consistently having two, two or three or four thoughts in our mind and working all the time on things and not being in the present moment is creating anxiety, is potentially also creating depression and is preventing us from really feeling what is happening in this moment. And therefore, it is preventing us to be able to think logically about what needs to happen right now. So what should we be doing differently? It's taking more time. Someone else asked me last week if I could write up something for their team on productivity. You know, how can they become more productive? Get rid of to-do lists. I think to-do lists are really uh, some, I don't know. I've, I haven't seen actually many men with to-do lists or how many men have you seen with day planners? Like, you know, those, those colorful ones that have motivational speed, like and everything. In it. I did know a guy that had one. He used a different color pen for his different activities. It was something to see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe it was this, you know, creative output, but here's the thing. So if you do want to rely on your to-do list, do me a favor. Also add the things that you're doing throughout the day that you don't have on that to-do list, because that will change actually the outlook, how that to-do list looks like. And you're going to have way more tick marks on it than if you're not adding those things to it. But otherwise, I think also what is with the, the, the problem with the to-do list is we don't allocate always the right amount of time to it. So you might, you might put something on your to-do list and realize that it's going to take you actually two or three days in order to finalize that task. What I love as a, t uh, as a tool, and I've seen that a lot of men, and I think I've actually picked it up from a man, as you're placing into your calendar, let's say 
half an hour housework, whatever, you know, like picking up kids is not just on your to-do list, but picking up kids is in your calendar as a 45 minute activity or one and a half hours because it takes you 35 minutes to get there and 35 minutes to come back. And then you have to wait in the queue. And I mean, the queues that I see always in the US with people waiting for their children. <laughs> Separate show. <laughs> so be more realistic about this. Start understanding how how can you help yourself to be more in the moment? Okay, I think this is a hugely useful tip to actually calendar everything, including what is important to you. So taking care of yourself in whatever way you're going to move your body that day, for example, that belongs in your calendar. That's not a nice to have. That is a fundamental, it's oxygen, it's hydration, it's sunlight, it's nutrition, and it's movement. <laughs> And when we start calendaring things, making appointments with ourselves, then we are prioritizing our needs. And our needs include taking care of a great many other people and things very, very often. Um, I think that's so important. And another thing that I read was a great exercise if you're in a household is with the partner that you live with is to each make a to-do list for that day or that week, as an exercise, I mean, and then compare them. And mm. the different weight of those items, on, because everyone thinks, not everyone, <laughs> that generalization is false, but people can sometimes have a distorted view of their contributions, right? So I think in my case, it would be a husband and wife. I think it would be so interesting when you're really in a period of overwhelm for each of you to write down your to-do list for that week and then compare them. And it should have everything on there. All of the hidden labor and all of the things that you take for granted because you have just always done them. Uh, I think that Ella, you are very good at creating time for activities for yourself. And you've been very rigid with that, right? And I think that you've also encountered from a lot of people, you know, some backlash, like why? Like, I hear, even I've been pushing it and I'm like, come on. Like, you know, <laughs> Big of you to admit. I, like, I want to I want to talk to you right now. And you're just like prioritizing your running over me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but here's the thing. I do think that this taking time for yourself meant up better. Not all. I'm not generalizing, but I do see it. I mean, my husband will bike sometimes 700 miles a week. That takes time. <laughs> Listen, I'm I'm actually really glad you brought this up because I'll be honest with you. I come from a large family. There are four kids. I'm one of four kids. And I had like a very traditional sort of nuclear household. I don't know why it's called a nuclear household. It was nuclear at times, <laughs> but it was boy, girl, boy, girl. Okay. The reason that matters is because for a long time, it was older brother, me, younger brother, and then baby sister came along 10 years later. I was drowning in men. I only have four cousins. They're all boys. They're all brothers. Okay. So it was men everywhere. And I learned a lot and I watched and I observed and I took notes because I watched my mom make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. I watched her prioritize herself as dead last in that dynamic. And I was like, you know what? That's not for me. I intentionally channeled some more like male communication styles when I developed into the adult that I am. And that includes saying no to things. So I, I am not uncomfortable saying no to something. I think that we have to sometimes practice things that don't come naturally. And I think it's useful to 
channel our inner Chad, which I said is a joke, but like pick a name and like, what would Chad do? <laughs> and Chad would have an easier time saying no to something, channel Chad and say it like he would. Um, so I appreciate you pointing out, like, I actually am pretty boundaried and I'm pretty protective of my time and I have to be, but I, I learned that from somewhere. This is a great example, you know, and it's not that you will, you won't like, I mean, and I've asked for multiple things, right? I mean, we've been working, as you pointed out, we've been working together now for over a year and we've been putting amazing things together. And the things is that you work in your own time frame, and I work in my own time frame, right? It's also important to know this because let's say you were one of our board members, right? That's how we, that's how it all started. But also we had to exchange a couple of board members because when we were looking for board members and we were talking about, you know, what the, the duties are and what we need, a lot of women were, yes, of course, of course we want to help, but they actually didn't have the capacity to help out. And it wasn't them that came to us and said, listen, I don't have the capacity. It was usually me saying, you know what? I I know that you don't have the capacity and I know that it's so hard for you to say no. How about you help out in a different form? We should also help one another to say no. Oh, this is so critically important. And it's actually one of the remaining two things I wanted to get on the table. So to, to recap what you just said, like we had women saying, yes, absolutely. I will help you. But then when it came out to helping, they weren't there. They weren't able to carry as much water as they thought they could, so to speak. And so then you had to say to them, I actually don't think you have the capacity for this. And then there was like relief and letting off the hookness. Yeah. And this is not a criticism. It is yeah. a, if they had chatted you at the outset and said, you know what? I don't have time for that. How else can I help? Or if they didn't feel fear or guilt, they might have been able to be more direct up front. Great. That is super interesting. The last thing that you said is something I would like to scream from the rooftops. We need to help each other say no, or mm. not right now, or this is not for me. And we need to model that. We need to talk about it like we're doing right now. And we need to encourage that in one another. Thank you for saying that. I want to talk about one more thing and squeeze it in. And this I say slightly tongue in cheek, Kinga, but at the end of the day, the thing I think that we could take away from Chad is just the sheer audacity. So men just show up with this just sheer audacity. And it's so very annoying sometimes. It's amusing very oftentimes, but there are lessons in it. There is an innate assertiveness, a sense of entitlement, but really what I mean is the presumption that you deserve solicitude, right? The concern of others, that you deserve respect and that you deserve attention. Like, I think we could take something away from that. I mean, it's just, it goes into the, the whole aspect of overconfidence. So in science, we call this overconfidence and you, you look at it and competence does not always follow confidence and certainly not always over, uh, you know, uh, overconfidence. So I want to just repeat that confidence does not equal competence. Yeah. No one told Chad. <laughs> so yes, but in order for women to be seen in a more equal space as men, as actually research has shown, women have to have 
overconfidence in order to be seen equally confident as wow. men. Women have to have what they believe to be an overconfidence. They feel like on a scale of one to 10, they're turning it to 11. They have to have overconfidence in order to even be seen as equally as confident as a man. Yes. What? Yes. Yes. So when you think that you are overconfident and that you are overdoing it and that you might be stepping more into the arrogant sector, you are actually reaching just now the point of confidence. Yeah, the audacity. But you see it, you know, I mean, like in the VC sector, when you see it with startups and entrepreneurs, it's really interesting how many actually fail. But the people that get money for enterprises, it's not always about their idea. It's about the investor believing that that person has what it takes in order to move that project forward. And that is quite often, you know, overconfidence and you have to have a belief. And so remember also, you know, confidence, there are four areas, or at least in my, in, in my work, I've classified four areas in order to build your confidence. We can quickly share this, but I think it's, it's an important one. So you have to feel confident. So really your emotions are aligned with it. You have to believe that you're confident. So you have to believe that you can overcome whatever comes your way. Then you have to have the attitude and that is something, you know, when I coach and when I do workshops, I love that because the attitude is really taking space, right? It's like the, the, the body. And you can, by the way, practice that sitting in the middle seat on the plane between men. I think it's the best spot to practice to take space. <laughs> like Put your hands on the arm seat. You have already the shittiest seat in the plane. <laughs> it's like, you know, really just like practice it. Practice being uncomfortable with being actually confident. And then the fourth one is really the actions, you know, so take the actions that it's, so it's not just about talking, it's really then walking the talk. And those four components, when you really put them together, show true confidence, in my opinion. I am reading a book right now called The Mirrored Door, and it's kind of a play on the glass ceiling. And mm -hmm. and her hypothesis, I'm going to, I'll try and interview the author of this book on the show soon, but her, her hypothesis is we talk about the glass ceiling, which is the thing where you can sort of see what it looks like to keep growing inside of a company, but you can't get past the glass ceiling, right? And women bump up against that. Okay. Mm -hmm. She talks about the mirrored door. And this is what's important that I'm connecting back to what you're saying. That is the hidden barrier that locks women in place because of their own reflection back at them, meaning their own self-doubt, their own lack of confidence, their own feelings that I am an imposter, and their lack of belief. And so that's why in all seriousness, I believe we could adapt a bit more self-belief, a bit more air of expectation that the world is for us, and a little bit of that audacity. And that comes out presenting in space as confidence. Okay. And, and Ella, on that one, you know, and maybe we can also just close this off, but I asked my husband today just to kind of like, you know, see, I'm like, this is a hypothesis that I've been like walking around with. And let me, let me just see what happens with it. How often have you heard a man talk about another man's body? Like, oh, my colleague came back from vacation. He gained 10 pounds. <laughs> like, how often have you? And, you know, and, it, and it popped into my mind because I had the other day a friend text me and they're like, I watched a reel from you. Did you gain weight? Like, wait a minute. What? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. One of your friends saw you on an Instagram reel and said, just saw your reel. Have you gained weight? 
Yes. Can I have her number? <laughs> yes, I can give you her number. But that's something like, okay, so I practice my confidence. I mean, it annoyed me, right? Doesn't matter, even if it would be true. But here's the point. The point is not even that. The point that I'm trying to make is, unfortunately, we do it indirect and direct as women, we judge other women. And so sometimes our fear also stems from that ability that we know that we judge, therefore others must be judging. And so then we become also afraid of that judgment. And we then want to be perfect because we don't want to be judged by others. So it really starts also not just with practicing your own confidence, but also with practicing judging and comparing less because you are doing it to yourself. You're not doing yourself a favor. You are creating really, I mean, a, a lack mindset at the end of the day. You are fostering that fear. You are putting yourself into a position where you have to be continuously on the lookout for someone else wanting to harm you. So women are obviously, you know, we can be really invested in being seen as as good or generous and supporting and loving or empathetic or perfect or and what you're saying is that we assume we sort of judge first because we're assuming we are being judged. Is that kind of the link there? But we don't link that back. We don't link. We don't understand that us judging actually creates subconsciously an understanding of if I judge, other people judge as well. Kinga, what is the answer to this? Because I'll I'll keep it silly, but I assure you that when I walk by a mirror, if I spent any time looking in it, like the dialogue, it, it ain't pretty. Like it's not nice. It's something that I work on. It's something that I've I've turned the volume way down on, like way down on. But let's say 30-year-old me, pretty rough self-inspection, you know, catching a glimpse of myself in the mirror. My husband walks by a mirror. He's never seen anything better. Like he's per like <laughs> he's not, and he's not an egotistical man. I just mean he's like, yep, there it is. You know, <laughs> perfectly content and keeps rolling. And it again, it's not that he thinks he's all that. It's that there's just like this inherent self-acceptance that I have to say I was schooled out of pretty young by the media, if nothing else, as we're most of the people listening right now, what's the takeaway? What action can we take so that we can release some of this perfectionism? We can release some of this desire to please, this desire to appear a certain way, this desire or compulsion to judge others because we know that we are being judged. Also, by the way, you judge because somehow in our screwed up mindset, sometimes it makes us feel better if we are judging others, right? For we sure. are putting ourselves yeah. a little bit on the pedestal. But um, so there, I think that there are three things. Number one, disrupt your own inner thought and disrupt yourself when you are either judging yourself or someone else. Number two, praise other women much more. Just the when it doesn't even have to. Be, and I do that, and I love doing it because it catches women just out of uh, out by surprise. If you order a coffee at Starbucks and I see, you know, the woman behind the uh, the counter and she has a beautiful smile. Oh my God, your smile is so beautiful. Your clothes are, so you don't even have to know them, but just make ourselves also more comfortable with, with praise because we are also uncomfortable with praise. You know, that's also another, uh, another uh, story, but that is so really so important that just like giving others positive feedback. And the third one is if you don't have anything positive to say, don't say nothing. 
Well, don't say anything. If you don't know how to approach something from a place of kindness, from a place of support, because you know how hard it is already for that other person, just, and you know, and you know, I think you know that I like doing this, right? But I have specific people that I have now turned into my role models. I never had role models. I did not believe in it. Maybe also the way I've grown up, but like, you are one of my role models <laughs> and you're laughing, but I love, and I love saying it, not just, and I love saying it because I know that it is so hard for you to accept it, but it is true. It's just inherently true. You are one of those people where I'm like, oh, look, when I grow up, <laughs> this is how I want to look like. This is who I want to be. Like, this is what motivates me. And just like pick the people around you in different ages, right? Be more integrative in that also. I mean, maybe that's the four, fourth part. Surround yourself with women that are in different age groups. So you A, won't forget where you were and you can help them, but also see where you are going and you can learn from them. And and that's the work that you and I do. Like we try to create experiences like that in microcosms, right? We try to create experiences like that through a magazine, through in-person events, because to me, there is nothing stronger, more inspiring and more uplifting truly in every sense of the word than when women truly, truly engage and amplify one another. And frankly, Chad could learn from that. I agree. I do think that we can change systems. And if we cannot change systems fast enough, at least what we can do is change the current experience for one another and help one another to have a better experience of our life. Even if we can't change systems instantly, we can change the experiences that we have and the experiences that we create with one another. Kinga, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm so grateful for you. Tell everybody where you want to be found. If you want to connect with me, connect with me over LinkedIn or Instagram or just directly on my website or just come to one of the meetups. <laughs> I know we really hope we see you in October in Lexington, Kentucky, yeah. but otherwise we'll see you virtually because there are a lot of places to interact with us. All right. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at onairwithella or get the show notes and all the links shared today at onairella.com. There's no with, it's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for sharing the show and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.